Blog Talk Radio. Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Preparedness. With your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad. There's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the dealers calling. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. The train to Jordan Picking up passengers Coast to coast Faith is the key Open the doors and bottom Salam alaikum, sir. 
Thank you, Brother Rudolph. All praise is due to the Most High God, who we are taught by the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. The proper name is Allah, the All-Wise, the All-in-All, if you will. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, this program promotes public awareness and engages in public outreach to inform, to educate, and to train all people and how to best prepare for, respond to, and recover from all emergencies. Our objective here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness is to ensure that everyone has a reasonable working knowledge of disaster preparedness and to help you determine the best choices in any emergency response to avert danger and to save lives. Our vision here is that each individual citizen, including every capable man, woman, and child, understand their personal responsibility for the safety of themselves, their family, their neighbors, and the overall well-being of the larger community. Well, brothers and sisters, here we are one week after many of us were in Detroit last week this time. Uh, engaging in what the Nation of Islam calls the annual Savior's Day Convention. So please allow me to greet those who understand. Happy Savior's Day. Happy Savior's Day. Happy Savior's Day. For as in many churches on Sunday, they sing this song. If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. And yes, there's sir. others who sing... In times like these, we need a Savior. Well, on the tail end, we thank Allah and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad for leaving us the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in delivering a message of what does Allah, the great Mahdi, the great Messiah, have to say about the war in the Middle East. Suffice it to say, it's worth studying. Suffice it to say, the spirit of truth will prevail. Suffice it to say, to be armed and guided by the two who back him, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan warns Israel and America of their fate if the genocide of the Palestinians does not stop. And so I'm going to pause, not stop, but pause and allow our wonderful co-host, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad, to greet you in the way that Allah is ordering his steps and making firm his feet, and then we'll pick right back up in these next uh, hour and 50 minutes, if you will, on what you need. So uh, without further delay, it gives me great honor to bring our brother back on, our brother on who worked feverishly last weekend, if I may say so myself, Humbly as I engaged in observation, concentration, and submission, as I engaged in helping him to help the Ministry of Health and Human Services serve our people in the way Allah blessed us to help. Uh, without further delay, let us bring on our dear brother, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad. The floor is yours, sir. Thank you, brother. Beginning all things in the name of the Most High God, the one God, 
that one who is responsible for your and my existence on the planet today. I'm talking about the great I am that I am. You know, like the children say now, I said what I said. Well, that's who I'm talking about, the God that he said what he said. The the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Yes, that one God who is the responsible for, he's responsible for Abraham, for Noah, for Lot, for Jacob, for Jesus, for Muhammad. He's responsible for all of them. He's the tree that bore the fruit that everybody likes to engage in and, and, and enjoy but sometimes we forget to pay homage to the tree that the fruit came from. Well, if you love the fruit, you have to love the tree. Well, and that tree, again, I'm thanking him. You know, he appeared to us in the person of Master Farad Muhammad, who came from there to here, and he raised up one from here that looked just like you and me that came from the same vicissitudes of life that we come from to let us know that we are not irretrievably, hopelessly lost and damned in the conditions that we're in. There is a chance of salvation for us because there was a chance of salvation for him. God is not dead. God is alive, regardless to what the naysayers say. And you must believe that. Because if God is dead, then what chance do you and I have? If God is dead, then how could we possibly escape what the devil has planned? But because God is not dead, as they say, you, as they say in the church, uh, uh, Brother Yusuf, because he lives, I can mm. face tomorrow. Because he lives, all of my fears are gone. Because I know who holds the future. Woo, man, man, my, my, my God, my God, my God. Go ahead, preacher, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) My God, woo, man. All right, all right. Let me me get back to this opening and greeting you and, uh, you know, Uh, So in the name of the Most High God and in the name of his risen Christ, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and in the name of their messenger, apostle, messiah, whatever title you want to put on them, we are talking about that black man, that beautiful black man who lives in Chicago, that beautiful 90-year-old young man who talked for three and a half hours. That beautiful young black man who was able to get up there and to speak. Or, or, or like they say, off cuff. You know, no notes. I'm quite sure he had some notes, but he wasn't reading notes. He was talking. He was opening his mouth and allowing God to speak through him because he is the vessel of God. Take it or let it alone. But we're talking about right. none other than our brother, your brother the champion of truth, justice, and equality, the champion for the oppressed, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And those three great names, I greet you, family of Muhammad, well-wishers of Muhammad, and supporters of Muhammad. In the green words of peace and paradise, of our salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, sir. Yeah. 
Thank you, Brother Yusuf. I'm full, Brother Yusuf. I'm full. Man, I'm still riding high from Savior's Day, brother. Man, I didn't really get to hear much of what the minister said first time. You know, I had to go back and listen to it in bits and pieces. But the spirit that was over the Huntington Place Arena this weekend, the spirit that was flying over the city of Detroit, the spirit that was emanating Mm. from each one that I interacted with in the vicinity of that uh, Savior's Day uh, 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 weekend. It, it, it was just, man, it was, it was medicine for my soul, brother. It, was, yes, it, it invigorated me. It gave me vigor. It gave me, uh, uh, um, man, it, it, it was better than the best coffee I ever had, brother. It, it, it was Indeed. better than, than any, any raw adrenaline I could uh, get my hands on. It just kept me up and moving, and it still has me up and moving. I'm fired up, Brother Yusuf, because I understand. I understand what he was talking about. I understand the warning that he issued. And most of all, I understand the time in which we are now in and what must be done. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's no cowering here. You know, whatever it has to be, let it be. Because we are fighting for our children and our grandchildren so that they will have the right to living an unobstructed life, that they will have the right to freedom, justice, and equality in a land that their forefathers built. And they need to reap the rewards of of that work now. So whatever we must do, we must do at this point. So whatever it is, it is. You know, bring it on. Bring it on. It's time for the showdown. So, you know, I'm going to stop there, Brother Yusuf, and turn it back over to you uh, so I can calm myself down a bit so we can get into uh, this week's program and, you know, we can help the listeners by getting this much-needed information out to them. Brother Yusuf? Yes, sir, beloved. Thank you so much, Brother Rudolph, for that warm welcome, that highly spirited welcome, putting us in tune with the time and what must be done. Brothers and sisters, uh, for those who may be new to the program and those who are consistent on this program, you know that repetition is the mother of learning. For those who may have heard some things that you've heard before, but it's also giving us an opportunity to remind those who may not have heard certain things they must do in order to prepare themselves as best they can when you talk about disaster awareness for community preparedness. Certainly we welcome you and we thank you for tuning in. That's a part of your first step of getting informed. Then you are to make a plan. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you can do your research or you can keep tuning in to our program or you can surround yourself with like minds, like people who turn what they've researched into practical application and daily implementation. So, number one, you want to get informed. Number two, you want to make a plan. Number three, you want to develop a survival kit. 
and then number four, periodically reassess your plan and your kit. You can't keep still. You got to keep this train moving. As we say in our opening, as we hear our dear brother, the late great brother Curtis Mayfield, tell us the people get ready, there's a train coming. You don't need no tickets, you just get on board. All you need is faith to keep the diesel running. You don't need no tickets, you just thank the Lord. But there's some things you have to do. You just can't sit back and believe that a mystery uh, God is going to bring you. That's right food, clothing, and shelter. A mystery God right. is going to protect you if you have to shelter in place and you don't have a disaster strategy. A mystery God is going to save you if you have to evacuate and you don't know where you're going. You know, there's an old saying that says, um, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So you got to have a plan. you got to you know, know what to do, when to do, how to do, where to do. In the fire service, they call that situational awareness. Now, today, brothers and sisters, we're scheduled to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. We had an outstanding program, if I can say so myself, based on the subject matter experts we had, Sister Chantel and Sister uh, Melanie um, were speaking on the importance of mental health, and you know, Brother Rudolph, every now and then I get a lyric pop up in my head, and today as I was thinking about mental health, uh, what came up in my head? The hip-hop group Cypress Hill, insane Ah. in the membrane, insane in the brain, you know, and so there are a couple other songs that came to my mind, but just bouncing off, listening to the supreme wisdom the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan shared with the world on Sunday, we know we're dealing with the synagogue of Satan. We know we're dealing with white supremacy. Well, if you don't know that, then no form of shorty, you can't come back to Brother Rudolph and I and say to us, well, brothers, how come you ain't tell us we was dealing with the synagogue of Satan and white supremacy. Well, you know, there was a great psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Frances Crest Welsing. Yeah. She she used to recite one of her teachers, uh, Dr. Neely Fuller. And they used to both say that if you don't understand white supremacy, then any other thing you think that you understand will only confuse you. I'm going to say that again. If you don't understand white supremacy, then anything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. So whether you put it in that context of white supremacy or you put it in the context of the synagogue of Satan, if they don't control these activities of daily living, then they have the majority influence, and then you correct right. me if I'm wrong, or since we're in the rescue business, Brother Rudolph, I hope our listening audience will rescue me if I'm wrong by making that kind of statement of them having major influence, if not controlling all activities of daily living of people's comings and goings. 
What do you mean by that, Brother Yusef? Well, they control education, economics, entertainment. They influence labor, law, politics. That's right. They control and influence religion, sex, and war. True. Oh, thank you for that confirmation. Because I don't want to give any fake news. It sounds like someone's trying to get in this conversation, so we have to welcome them to another edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom are we speaking and how may we serve you? Please state your name. Hello, listener. Talking to you. Who just pressed one? It's okay. You can say hello. We're friendly. We don't bite. The floor is yours. All right. Well, whoever it is, I guess they want to be anonymous. It's okay. It's all right. If you you can stay anonymous in this day and time if you choose to, you know, it's all right. Okay. All right, brother Yusuf. Yes. Now, now, continue on with what you were saying, brother. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm glad you confirmed what I was saying was on the Sadatha Mustaqim to straighten the narrow pathway. Because, you know, brothers and sisters, um, our faith tradition, Islam, tells us that we want for each other what we want for ourselves. We don't get any pleasure Even hearing ourselves if we don't have to be talking. Right. That's right. We, we, That's we, right. We, don't, we don't get any pleasure just talking to be talking. We welcome you into our studio by pressing one on your phone pad so that if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, then feel free to address them and we'll reply as best as we can as it relates to disaster awareness for community preparedness, as it relates to the subject we're on. And, you know, we talk about everything on this uh Program from viruses to vaccines, from fire safety education to health and fitness, because we believe that whether it's us as individuals, we can't do it alone. It has to be about community, community investment, community involvement, community partnership for community risk reduction. That's why we welcome you into our studio. So we can have a frank conversation on what's really going on in our lives. Now, we have to also bear witness that in addition to the people activity that I named earlier, the weather has been quite peculiar. Do you agree? Just since last Sunday, there was a powerful storm that moved uh, to the east from the west. And as we speak, from D.C. to Boston, they're bracing for rush hour rain. You know, across the country, there were 92 record high temperatures recorded from the southern plains to the northeast on Tuesday. There are high winds for Chicago, Buffalo, New York, Boston, D.C., and uh I said Boston. The heaviest rains are expected to fall on New York City. That was just the other day. Flood watches were in effect in northern New England and 
the Ohio River Valley, and the Sierra Nevada mountain range was bracing for its heaviest snowfall of the season. That's all across the country. Watch the weather. Very peculiar. Texas is experiencing, as we speak, the so largest wildfire so, in the history okay. no of the state, the second largest wildfire in the country. Wildfires in America, wildfires across the globe in Australia. Thousands were told to flee their homes. What happens if where you live, you're told to flee your home? Will you leave a note at your home to let people know where you're going? There's a term called ice. Do you ice. know where you're going? <laughs> There's a term called ice. Is that, is that in case right. of emergency? Right. Right. You, you, you leave a note before you leave your home, but do you know where you're going? Great question, Brother Rudolph. Is it true or false? If you're told to evacuate, are shortcuts the best way to get to where you're going? Shortcuts. No, sir. Yeah, see? See? These are all things you have to think about before disaster strikes, because as we say, you know, in terms of scripture, the prophet Noah, when did he build the ark? Before the flood. Before the flood came. You see? Right. Should a reentry plan, should that be a part of your readiness when you are told you can come back to your home or what's left of it? These are just right. some of the things what's you think of? about, and if you don't think about it, it just causes more stress on your insane in the membrane. Go you ahead. See? That's right. Just connecting the dots. I got another song for y'all. I'm going to bring it up later on, Brother Rudolph, but I'm going to fall back. Yes, sir. fall back because there's so much you can talk about because since just this past weekend, the Savior's Day Convention, you know, you're talking about blizzards in California happening. Ten feet of snow happening in California right now. Man. Not to mention. California. um, Ain't that something? Ain't that something? I'm telling you, look, get your get your get your plan together. Shelter in place is a disaster strategy. The average right. emergency response to nine eleven nine one one that is exceeds ten minutes. Like brother yes, sir. said last week, where he is, sometimes they might not even show up at all. I mean, Especially if you're here in Detroit, where I'm at. That's what I'm saying, and I laugh to keep from crying because who wants to call 911 and no one shows up at all? Come on now. There by the time they show up, you, <laughs> yeah, by the time they show up, you don't know that they showed up because either you dead already or you gone. Ain't that something? I want to give a shout-out to uh, our brothers and sisters who uh, – had a workshop at the Savior's Day Convention, Sister Cecilia X, Brother Clifton Muhammad, Sister Tequella yes. Muhammad, Brother Torrance Muhammad, and Sister Latrice right. Muhammad, who gave a uh, workshop entitled Disaster Preparedness on the Ready, Creating, Maintaining, Beautiful. an Emergency Response Plan. And so Beautiful. You know, these are just Two. 
things that uh, you should consider. They use the acronym PEACE, P-E-A-C-E, P standing for preparation, E standing for emergency, A standing for action, C standing for communication, and E standing for execution. Peace, preparation, emergency, action, communication, and execution. We'll uh, tap into more of their presentation as this program goes along because it's critically important that we understand if you have a plan, if you have a kit, do you have the proper context and do you have a community that you can rely on? So I'll pass it on to Brother Rudolph right now as we're just entering into the second half an hour of today's program. Brother Rudolph. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. Man, 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 yes. Yeah, they had an excellent workshop. You know, it's right. always, you know, me personally, uh, from doing this, I get great pleasure in learning from others who are doing it, different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they go, it, it, it always do. There's no, the, the true right way or wrong way is whether you survive. But that's, that's still right. a theory. That's a theory until it actually happens. That's so we right. all have theories. Your theory isn't proven to be actual fact until you actually put it to, into play in real time. Until then, it's all just the theories. So we want people to understand that. And so, you know, everything that they have, that they spoke about, that, they, that others are practicing, you know, it's all, it's all fair game. And so we should always be willing to utilize the information that's being given to us by whoever it is that's bringing it, because the one true thing about disasters, and of course, you know, there are exceptions to every rule, but by and large, people who are out there talking about disaster preparedness, okay, for the most part, they have already tested out their theory and now they're bringing it to you and so that's the good part about it you know so it's a tried and tested theory and yeah you know what works for one may not work for another but again if you don't have a plan then somebody else's plan is the best plan until you get a plan so remember that, you know, in disaster preparedness, nobody can honestly say that what they are bringing to the table is theirs because all of this information has been here already. And all we're doing is, as Brother Barry used to always say, it's the same soup, just reheated. Exactly. So it's, it's, you know, in culinary arts, we're taught 
and, and I see, I'm just throwing something else out here, brother Yusuf. You know, people would know I dabbled in that too, you know. But in culinary ahead, arts, when you go to cooking school, you know, as a chef, it's not necessarily that you're the one cooking the food. The chef is the kitchen manager. He is the one that's making sure that the sous chef is doing his job, that the saute cook is, do, is you know, making the right uh, uh, sauces and that they taste the way they're supposed to taste. He's making sure that the garbanges are plating the food properly and having the right garnishes on them. He's making sure that the expediters are getting that food out to the right people in the right amount of time so that the food is not just pleasant looking, but it's also palatable. But the thing about it is that plate, it has to be appealing to the eye to the person that's going to eat it long before they ever taste the food because you we taste with our eyes for the most part. Generally, if the plate looks good to you, nine times out of ten, then it's going to taste good. But mm. when you just got stuff jumbled on there, thrown together, can't figure out where the peas are, where the carrots are, where the potatoes are, you know, it's all meshed in together. It just doesn't look good. Uh, I doubt very well if it's going to taste good because you've already set up in your mind that, man, this goulash is garbage. So where disaster preparedness is concerned, if you don't already have a plan, then you have nothing to work with, then it's best to find the best plan out there and work that until you can get something of your own. And no matter whose plan you putting out there, you're going to tweak it the way that it needs to be tweaked for you and your family because that's what you have to do. And that's why we're constantly telling you that you have to reassess your plan because things change. Time changes. You pack your go bags today, you can't pick it up nine years from now and expect to do anything with it. Hell, half the stuff that you got in there is outdated. It may not even be still in the same form that you put it in. You may have put a liquid in there, and now it's uncrystallized. You may have put a powder in there, and now it's all clumped together because it's, it's already expired. The form of it has changed. You know, where did you keep your go bag? So it's a lot. It's a lot that goes into it. And I know we're always talking about disaster preparedness, go bags and stuff. And this is elementary preparedness. This is really elementary. There are so many people in the disaster preparedness community that don't even, you don't even hear from them anymore. One in particular is my partner, Aton Edwards. You won't even hear from him anymore. Why? Because he said, man, we were talking about that 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if that's where people are now, you know, then they're so far behind the eight ball that, they, they, you know, there's no hope for them. And I understand what he's saying when he says it. Not just him, but others. I understand what they mean. That if that's where you are now, if you're still there, see, it's the difference if you're just hearing this for the first time. 
But if you've heard it before and you're still at the go-bag phase, then that's like uh, spending 12 years in first grade. You haven't even graduated elementary school yet, and, and you're already 25. You're going to age out, you know. But anyway, Brother Yusuf, anyway, anyway, you know, this week, you know, the minister, he's constantly telling us to watch the weather, and you were talking about the weather. Man, uh, 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 what's today? Today is Friday. I got off work Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. I walked out the hospital. I think it was almost, it was almost 70 degrees. Now, it's almost 8 o'clock in the morning. Man, by 12 noon, by the time I got out of school, it was down in the 30s. Before I went That's to work right. that night, it was like 29 degrees. Temperature had dropped that fast, had changed that much. Well, that's what we're dealing mm-hmm. with now. That's right. You, you, you don't know what to expect from the weather now. So you have to, and, and this, goes, this takes me back to asking this question. How many times do you check the news a day? Generally, we say, you know, you need to check the news maybe about once or twice a day, at least early in the morning when you get up, and maybe, you know, just before you go to bed, just to know what to expect the next day. But nowadays, the way things are going on, man, you need to check the news maybe three, four times a day. Because things are happening so rapidly. Things are changing so rapidly. Just, you know, to be abreast of what's going on so that you can know the right decisions to make for you and for your family. So, yes, watch the weather because the weather is changing rapidly. Make sure that you have your provisions for you and your family. And, of course, the go, your go bag should be as close to the door as possible so that when you ha- when disaster strike, not if, when, because it's going to happen. It's just a matter right. of when. So when it, when it strikes, you can move out the way that you need to move out with your family and enact your plan. Does your family know where you have to evacuate your home? Have you already spoken to someone in your area and made an agreement with them that if you have to evacuate, that you and your family can meet up at their outside of your normal area because maybe the disaster is in your area, or maybe it's in theirs, and maybe they have to make the uh, agreement with you that their family can come there with you. So, th- And this is why it's so important that we settle our differences, Brother Yusuf. If That's we right. have gripes and, and petty differences with people, it, 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 you know, we need to settle them now because our survival may depend on those very people that you say you can't get along with. 
you know, there's a song that, that they used to sing, or they still sing, No Man is an Island, No Man Stands Alone. You know, because our survival, of course it depends on Almighty God Allah. That's without saying. But that right. next level is it depends on like-minded people, people who think like you, people who move like you do in a given situation. And so that's the thing that you have to be aware of and have to take uh, take consideration for. So what's your circle like? Where do you fit in that circle? Are you the smartest one in your circle? Then maybe it's time to get in a new circle. Right. If you're the one that everybody comes to when they need something, but when you need something, you can't go to anyone in your circle. You're in the wrong circle, Brother Eustace. That's right. You know? So, you know, well, you know, enough of that. Enough of that. Brother Eustace, I sent out a uh, a uh, 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 YouTube uh, um, video to some people of a situation that happened, I believe it was in Rochester, New York. I don't know if you got it or not. Um, I got it. Yes, sir. About the ambulance? Yes, sir. What it was was it was a a black man who 911 responded to him, and he was telling the EMS personnel that he could not breathe. Now, we don't really know exactly what transpired. What we do know is that the man is dead. He never made it to the hospital. And when he did make it there, he was dead on arrival. So that much we do know. What we also know is that the police at some point intervened in that EMS people allowed him to do it. We know that for a fact. We don't know why, but we know that is a fact that it happened because he died less than 25 feet from the ambulance on the sidewalk. Again, he said to the police officer, I can't breathe. And regard because of whatever was in their mind already about this individual, they paid it no mind. It fell on deaf ears, and the man died. Okay, so now, in the EMS community, being one from the EMS community, I'm going to say this, and a lot of people from offense to my statement, but be that as it may. As a practitioner, a medical person, I don't care what the situation, if the person is seeing me right now, they're my patient. And if they're acting other than themselves, a term that we use that we call EDP, emotionally disturbed person, then it's up to me as the healthcare provider to evaluate and make a decision as to why 
they're acting that way. I may not know for a certain that they have a meta, uh, a past mental health condition. And so I, there I have to lean on my training. And I have to think about, well, what are all of the causes, Brother Yusuf, that will cause a person to appear that way? Not even saying that they are an emotionally disturbed person, but the behavior, that's the way they're appearing right now. So what would cause a person to appear that way? Well, is the person a diabetic and their sugar now, their blood sugar has dropped so low that now they are beginning to do things and act in a certain way that is considered not appropriate for the time? That's one question. So, and that's a medical reason why they would be acting that way. Is the person having some type of metabolic uh, crisis that's causing them to act the way that they act and not making rational decisions or not speaking in a rational way? Could that be it? And either way that you go, when you Look at either one of those scenarios that I just put out there. It's clearly a medical problem. So for this person to be taken out of the ambulance and left to die on the sidewalk, that's criminal. There's no mistake mm-hmm. involved in that. There's no uh, 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 what they they uh, involuntary manslaughter. No, that's criminal intent right there. He was in your care, and you allowed him to go when you knew that his condition was as grave as it was. He didn't have to know it. He's not the medical professional. He's not the one trained to do it. So, you know, of course an investigation has to be done on that, and I really don't have faith in the community that a proper investigation will be done because, again, what was it and who was it? It was another black man. And because black lives really don't matter, no matter how many banners and slogans they may put up and and, and yell and scream, the evidence proves that black lives don't matter. Because if they did, then we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. So, you know, I I was just throwing that out there to say that we need to have our own. We can no longer depend on the status quo or the establishment to look out for us because they've proven time and time again that they're not looking out for us. So we need to look out for ourselves, which means that we need to have our own EMS systems. We need to have our own police policing uh, agencies. We need to have our own fire rescue services that are staffed by people who look like us, who think like us, and who come from communities like us, who have cultural sensitivities to the things that we go through so that they can be treated differently. So I just wanted to throw that out there, Brother Yusuf. I'll throw it back to you. 
Thank you, Brother Rudolph. That's critically important, first of all, to understand of that situation that happened. And as I listened to you, Brother, what came to my mind is when you talked about proper evaluation, you evaluate to de-escalate. You don't want it to get worse. You want it to get better. So what would cause that person's affect, A-F-F-E-C-T? It could be a metabolic crisis, as Brother Rudolph just said. It certainly doesn't fall under the Good Samaritan Clause of what happened. And when you talk about agencies such as you define, Brother Rudolph, shout out to your late great father, Brother Commander Rocky Robinson of the Bed-Stuy Volunteer Ambulance Corps, and shout out to Brother John Singleton there in Detroit, uh, one of your colleagues who has a similar uh, emergency medical service business. What, what What's the name of his agency, Brother Rudolph? Oh, I'm sorry. I was on mute. Uh, yeah, the name of our company is First Response EMS, and we donated the coverage for Savior's Day this year to for just that reason, to ensure that the people who came there, if indeed a medical crisis arose, that it would be handled with dignity and respect by people who understood what they, you know, understood the people going through the crisis and the environment in which they were uh, coming from. So, yeah. To, 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 to the employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the employees, the staff, Mr. Uh, Brother John Singleton, uh, your partner, and um, I mean, to the degree that we had to uh, discharge and, and send people uh, to the hospital, those to the hospital, who worked yeah. at the Ministry of Health and Human Services, when they got back, they bore witness of the professionalism, uh, uh, I bear witness that, uh, you know, they were professional, and uh, it was just a, a, a beautiful thing to, to witness those who look like us. And, I mean, you know, disaster and emergency is non-discriminatory, but it's That's so right. few of us that deal with us, like FUBU, for us, by us, uh, that when right. we see that, when we experience that, for me, it's heaven on earth, you know, so... Yes, definitely wanted to give uh, your colleagues a shout out for the work that they did last weekend. I enjoyed collaborating with them, even though it wasn't, you know, so deep, so long. But, you know, when you talk about emergencies, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's physical, spiritual, or otherwise, whether it's a natural disaster, a man-made disaster, we certainly can agree that we're in a state of emergency and never seen such urgency. Now, urgency yes, represents sir. time. So, you know, you can define for yourself what an emergency is, or you can look it up, Google, ask Siri, ask Alexis. What is the right. emergency, though? 
A emergency or an AN emergency is one thing, but then you have to determine what is the emergency and prioritize, right. uh, prioritize if it's more than one. Then that's right. Ask yourself what is the timeline. The urgency means it should have been done yesterday. Like we talk about yeah. disaster awareness for community preparedness, the six P's that the military use: proper, prior, planning, prevent, or performance. So, what is the timeline right. after you determine what the emergency is? Then you have to ask yourself: who is involved? Who is involved? Then you have to know your surroundings. Where are you? These are just certain questions that if you train yourself to think that way before an emergency pops up, then it becomes like muscle memory. What is the emergency? What is the timeline? Who is involved? Where are you or where am I? And what is required of you? Do you know basic first aid? Do you know CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation? Do you know how to use an AD, AED machine, pardon me, automatic external defibrillator? Do you know the universal sign for choking if you're eating at the table with your family, your coworkers, your friends? And they exemplify that universal sign of choking. Do you know how to extract a foreign object that they may be choking on? These are just some of the things you can do yourself if you but understood. And then when you take action, you have to internalize what you've been trained to do. You have to visualize what you see needs to be done. And then you have to actualize the situation. You got to remember, brothers and sisters, you are the help until help arrives. Arrives, pardon me. So just wanted to share a couple of those things with you. You know, you want to be able to communicate with your family, both nuclear and extended, your community, and even your nation, when time permits. It's like if a fire jumps off in your kitchen. I know you have a fire extinguisher, right? If you don't, invest in one. We say it's one of the best investments you can make for your family, just short of teaching them knowledge of self. That's right. So yes, invest sir. in a fire extinguisher, and then learn how to use it. You remember yes. the acronym PASS, P-A-S-S? PASS. That's right. Where you pull the pin, P. Where you aim at the base of the fire, A. Right. Where you squeeze the handle. Remember, aiming at the base of the fire after you pull the pin, and then you sweep from left to right at the base of the fire after squeezing the handle, 
and aiming where the fire is after you pull the pin process, right? right? But then I, you weren't you just talking about communication? I, what the communication comes in is that you have to yell to someone who may be in close proximity, call 911. Because That's even right. though you have a fire extinguisher, there's no guarantee you might be able to put the fire out. It may help. And then also muscle memory once again. After you yell to somebody, call 911 to get somebody who have made may have more expertise than you, more uh, extinguishing power, if you will, the fire department. You also have to know if this thing gets out of control, how the hell do I get out of this room? It's called means of egress. Do you have just one doorway in that kitchen? Do you have two ways out? So these are the things you have to think about. Yell. Somebody else in the house, call 911. Remember pass. Get your extinguisher. Pull the pin. Aim at the base of the fire. Squeeze the handle and sweep. Now, your adrenaline's going to be flowing. You know, Brother Rudolph in an emergency because he he's just that way. He's just built that way, and he has, you know, so many years of experience. As the sports analyst, uh, uh, analyzer used to say, uh, what was his name? Stuart Scott of ESPN. The brother Rudolph is cooler than the other side of the pillow. He doesn't really get all hyped up in an emergency. He might be hyped up when it's non-emergency. But when it's an emergency, he knows what to do. He's done it. Let's get the job done. Make sure everybody's safe and sound accountability, keep it moving, prepare ourselves for the next one coming. For those who might not have that experience, not may not be wired that way, may not have that kind of, you know, material, your heart is going to be racing rapidly if you get caught in the fire. So what you want to do is, Brother Rudolph said earlier, Allah, God, is in control of everything. But I believe it was uh, the poet, the educator, Maya Angelou said, you, you, you may not be prepared for everything that might come your way in terms of a catastrophe, but at least you'll be able to reduce uh, uh, the, the, the devastation that might happen based on your training. So here we are, brothers and sisters, at 4.59, going into the next hour, 5 o'clock hour. Don't forget to communicate. We're communicating via this particular platform, and we consider all of us on this line that are listening, our family, our nation, our community, and the geography is the whole planet, 196,940,000 square miles of it, I believe. And as we are taught, it's 57,255,000 square miles of land that is coming out of 139,685,000 square miles of water. So you're listening to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We're sharing with you uh, what has come across our screen 
since the Savior's Day convention uh, last week in the beautiful city of Detroit. We thank Brother Rudolph, his family, the believers there, Muhammad Moss, number one, uh, the Shura Executive Council, and, of course, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan for hosting us and uh, allowing us to do what we're born to do in terms of our service to humanity and preparing us for the moments ahead because we're living in critical times, brothers and sisters. This is a critical hour. If you study the history and scripture, it may remind you of Babylon, right? And in the book of Revelations, it says Babylon has fallen, has fallen. It says she's become a habitation of devils, a hole for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. That's America. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. Come out of her, my people, for her sins have reached up to heaven. Now, I may be talking to the wrong audience, and if I'm offending anyone, then charge it to my head and not to my heart. But again, you won't be able to come back Myself, Brother Rudolph, Brother Forrest, Black Hole Radio, LLC, and say to us, yo, brothers, how come you ain't tell us this getting ready to go down like it's going to go down? No, it's going down as we speak. We're trying to prepare you if you want to prepare yourselves, make you aware of the time that we're in. Whether, you know, the biggest trend that's going on now, and, I mean, I bear witness, it's happening in all our families is this mental health crisis. But if you don't have knowledge of yourself, then that increases this mental health emergency that too many of our people are going through. Suicide is on the rise. Fratricide is on the rise. Police brutality and mob attacks on the rise. You better understand the terrain that you're in. This is the geography we're talking about on a spiritual and mental level. Now, again, there are different ways to prepare. I can give you 12 right off the bat. You know, everybody has a cell phone today, it seems like. So there are apps where you can sign up for alerts and warnings, whether it's the other NOAA, N-O-A-A, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. They have apps where you can get up-to-date warnings and alerts. The Weather Channel has an app. Consider FEMA has an app. Consider getting apps. Sign up for alerts and warnings. We talked about making a plan. We talked about saving. Well, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, there's always a financial survival kit you have to consider. Big Mama used to say saving for a rainy day, your quarters, your nickels, your dimes, because you never know what may happen. In fact, economically, some say uh, cash is irrelevant. 
But what happens if the cybernetic revolution goes down, where they hack into your uh, cash app, your PayPal, and those other types of uh, ways of banking, if you will? Save for a rainy day, whatever your pleasure. Then you want to practice emergency drills. In the fire department, they had an acronym called EDITH, E-D-I-T-H. Those who are old enough, you remember all in the family. The wife's name was EDITH, E-D-I-T-H, meaning exit drill in the home. (laughs) O-R-T. So practice emergency (laughs) drills. You know what I mean? And then you want to test your family on your communication plan. That's the fifth one out of the 12. You want to safeguard your documents and maybe somebody that you trust outside of your state. If your documents get destroyed, maybe you have copies outside of your state that you can refer to if your copies get destroyed. I know Brother Forrest said during Hurricane Katrina, he knew of people that couldn't verify who they were because they had no identification. Right. They couldn't verify the property they own. Well, I live right here on 123 Mockingbird Lane. Prove it. Well, if your documents are destroyed, That's right. safeguard your documents, brothers and sisters. Make a plan with your neighbors. Things to consider. Make your home safer. Brother gave a presentation on how to secure your home. Don't use shortcuts, but at least know evacuation routes. Right. Again, assemble or update your supplies. Again, I'm just reiterating, get involved with your community and document and ensure your property. So I just wanted to briefly, and that was quick, but you can always refer to the archive of this show to get the information, or you can go to other uh, means by which information is out there. Brother Rudolph said, you know, there may be novices if you're listening for the first time, but you take one step toward learning more about disaster awareness for community preparedness, and we know God will bless you with people of like minds and, you know, those who are considered experts in it, and you're only experts, as Brother Rudolph said earlier, theoretically, until you get caught up in a situation and know what you think is theory right now actually works in certain conditions under certain contexts, right? And I just wanted to put, you know, the content that we're sharing with you in context, and you have to understand the circumstance you're in. So I'll put a pen in it right now and hand it back over to our dear brother, Brother Rudolph, and then we'll uh, proceed to give you what you need. Brother Rudolph? Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that was beautiful, brother. Beautiful, those 12 points. And we're going to have to revisit that so that we can do justice by that 12 points and go into each one to give the listener and, and, and you know, a good understanding and working understanding of each of those points. You know, this show was supposed to be part two of our mental health. 
And so we talked about various things on the first hour, trying to give our subject matter experts a chance to uh, clear up what they were doing, you know, uh, or everyone has a busy day and is doing what they do um, during the day. So, you know, we don't know what's going on with them, but uh, we're going to try and do some justice uh, by this and go on and cover a few things. Okay. Our mental health. When we're talking about our mental health, what are we talking about? We're talking about a situation where our thought process seems to have strayed or varied or, 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 or gotten off course from reality. And I say seems to have because um, since no two people are alike, not even identical twins, no two people think alike. But where society is concerned, we are talking about where the average person or the, the, the predominant majority of people would respond a particular way toward a particular thing. That's what society holds as the norm. So when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about, again, how you respond to a situation. Now, we, all, we already know it's not about what a person says to you or does to you. It's how you, it's your response to it that is the most important. So how are you responding to certain things? Um, are you able to adjust and adapt your behavior to whatever has happened to where your responses are acceptable by the larger community? And that's a yes or a no. And that's basically what it boils down to. So if it's a yes, then it's not an issue. If it's a no, then the issue now becomes, okay, so whatever it was that you said or you did, it caused someone on the other side to their eyebrow to go up and for them to either respond verbally by saying, wow, that person uh, may need some help. That was not normal, quote, unquote, uh, whatever the norm is, but they thought it was such a um, uh, departure from the norm that they decided to get the authorities involved. And so now they call 911. And they tell the 911 people that, well, this person is making statements that are questionable. 
And so the first thing they do when they approach you, they ask you, or, or the first thing they want to know is they want to know, are you a threat to yourself or others? And if the answer to that is yes, they take you into protective custody and they bring you to a medical facility and check you in to the psychiatric department of that facility for a mandatory psychiatric evaluation. And different states have different laws, but by and large, um, it's usually a 72-hour hold. So for the next 72 hours now, you're in that facility remanded pending a discussion and evaluation with a mental health professional, a psychiatrist. If you have underlying medical conditions, then your 72-hour hold may be extended because they have to clear your medical conditions first before they can activate a petition or a legal hold to get you psychiatrically evaluated. So once they clear you medically, then they uh, turn you over to the psychiatrist for him to evaluate you. And depending on how you respond to him, he either decides that, yes, you should be um, further evaluated or no, you're fine and we can release him. And a lot of things come into play in that particular um environment. Um, First of all, who is that psychiatric person that they took you to? Generally, Mm -hmm. there's a cultural barrier right Mm -hmm. off the bat. Especially if you're one of us, there's a cultural barrier. So that's the first part. Then there's a probably an age discrepancy there, too, an age barrier. So right away, you're behind the eight ball. You coming up to the plate with two strikes already. Now, you're already upset, and you're frustrated, you're agitated because of the situation, and the more you try to explain why you should not be in that environment, the more it looks like you should be there. Mm. Because you're yelling, you're screaming, you're snot running out your nose, you're bouncing off the walls, you picking things up, turning things over, you hopping on one leg, you threatening to beat people up and everything, and everybody else is cool as a cucumber, speaking very softly. So that's further infuriating you and making you go off the deep end, again, making it look like, yes, you do deserve to be here. 
So these are, these are just some things that actually happen. And I'm not, uh, with, I'm not talking about what's right or what's wrong. I'm talking about what actually happens at this point and how you get into this arena. And depending on what facility they put you in, every facility has different rules. Are you compliant mm-hmm. with those rules? Or are you bucking against those rules? Now do they have to call security and the doctor and have you medically sedated and physically restrained? Meaning they're going to give you some, a, a shot of something that's going to put you out and they're going to hog tie you and hamstring you to the bed. Four-point restraints with thick leather restraints that you're, unless you're David Banner or the Hulk, you're not going to be able to get out of those restraints or rip those restraints. Now, there are people that can do it. But by and large, the average person, now you're strung up on the bed by four extremities, your arms and your legs, flat on your back, and now you're all drugged up, so you're talking crazy, you're slurring your speech, you, you, you know, you really, the, the picture is really painted very badly for you, and it's really hard for a person to believe that you don't belong there. But regardless of what the people say, it's only one person that's making a difference in that uh, um, arena. Brother Forrest, Sister Melanie is on. Um, and that is the psychiatrist that you must see in order to get out of that arena. So, again, dealing with our mental health, that's how you get into the arena. Getting out of it is something totally different. So we have to be conscious of our thought process and our response to stimuli in order to try and safeguard ourselves and keep us out of that ballpark so that we don't have to deal with the ramifications and their rules in that ballpark. So that's just... A little something I just wanted to throw out there, Brother Yusuf. And I pray that uh, the picture I painted was clear enough for you to see how it's not a good look for us in any way, shape, or form because it's not that many of us licensed in that profession to make a difference on a large scale um, as, as far as the numbers are concerned of how many of us are in that ballpark, especially now. And then especially with our youth, where now in some places the rules are they don't even have to notify a child's parents in the school if they feel that child is uh, acting in a way that they deem is that they can medicate that child without the parent's authority and without the parents even knowing. They can have that child committed to a facility 
without the parent knowing. And this is a dangerous precedent to set, especially for when there are such large cultural biases and cultural differences across the board. Uh, Sister Melanie, if you're on, press one, please, so that you can be brought into the uh, conversation. So, again, now dealing with our, the school children, we all know that our children are high strung. And, of course, you can, check, you can trace that back to their diet, uh, their environment, all of that. Yeah, that's Monday morning quarterback. We're talking about right now in the heat of the moment. How many of them have the tools that are required to get them out of a situation? Not many of them. Not many of them understand how to express themselves rationally so that the other person will listen to them and understand where they're coming from. Well, not many of our adults can like. do that. Walaikum salam. Sister Melanie? How are you? How are you? Today? I'm well, thank you. Uh, we are well. Yes, thank sir. you so much for giving us your time today. Now, this is Sister yes. Melanie who was on two weeks ago. So we just want you to reintroduce yourself to the family and tell them who you are and your credentials, and then we'll get started with the questions. Yes, Yes, sir, certainly. I'm Sister Melanie, and I was on uh, a couple weeks ago when we began the discussion that Brother Rudolph and his team led about mental health and awareness, and we had the opportunity to have some discussion about foods that would affect our mental distress at times and then just your average diagnosis that the world has kind of placed on strange or odd behaviors such as schizophrenia or bipolar, depression, manic depressant, and we kind of talked around some scenarios and some real scenarios as well from that family members and friends have gone through that have caused us uh, family members as well as themselves kind of confusion as to what to do or how to handle a person that is displaying some odd behavior. Because what we do know is that when the alert when someone like Brother Rudolph was stating had to go into the hospital system and be restrained and stuff, it all starts from usually a reaction to something going on that they don't like. So it's a display of odd behavior that causes others in society or in your environment to have to alert the authorities or be on watch. So it's the way we respond to things. And I think today Brother Rudolph will lead us into that style of discussion about reaction yes. and what are some of the things that cause us to be targeted, what we would call targeted, and it's what? Not having good control over our emotions or not getting the assistance that is out here for us to get the um, out of harm's way. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, Brother Ferris, we, we...
Yes, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom do we have the pleasure of speaking to, and how may we be of service to you? Well, this is Sister Harriet Muhammad, boss number seven, New York City. Assalamualaikum, Sister Harriet. Yes, ma'am. How are you? It's good to hear your voice, Sister Harriet. Happy Savior's Day. I am finding a lot of grace and I'm the same as you and riding high. I'm yes, <laughs> one ma'am. Of the yes, got ma'am. loose out there. But I wanted to respond <laughs> to you speaking about, I heard you also in the sister just said, about um, emotions and yes. um, the behavior. I taught supposedly um, children who were supposedly uh, emotionally disturbed for 25 years as a high school teacher. And uh, a lot of times the reason why they would come off a certain way, and you all know about how big I am, how tall I am, most of them were like you all size, mostly males. <laughs> okay. Uh, I had to make them understand I know how to climb a tree and eat, and eat the apple off the top. <laughs> but it was a law. Be careful what you pray for because I prayed for them and the law gave them to me. But it was most of the time perception. A particular something may have happened. They may have brought it with them to school from home or it may have happened in the street. Um, whatever it was that caused these uh, young men between the ages of 13 and 21 to particularly go off was basically sometimes, most of the time, how they perceived the what was going on with them. If I could get their eye and ask them just to bring it down a little bit and let's hold a discussion. And whatever it was, it was never a right or a wrong, never making them feel that way, but bringing them into the area in their mind where they felt safe. Because whatever they perceived at that time, they felt like they were in a disastrous predicament. Mm-hmm. And so I had to bring right. them back to that, to that reality. And you believe it or not, a lot of times these guys, would, these children were just, they hadn't eaten in a day or two. Mm. So I had wow. to get something for them to eat or let them say whatever it was. And I mean, it was from the range of not eating, uh, mom and dad had an argument. They were walking down the street and somebody looked at them wrong and they perceived it as a threat to them. I mean, it was so many different things. But in those 25 years, I've only had three who were really, uh, let's say, mentally disturbed. But the others, emotionally, it was just that they needed to be heard. They needed to know that they were in a safe environment where they could say what they wanted to say, any kind of way they wanted to say it. Yes, ma'am. And that that they were safe and secure and that somebody 
was going to listen to them. And I didn't care whether the police was out there, their parents was out there, whoever. They had to shut up to let these young men and females, after a while, for the first, I taught them for 25 years, the first 12 years, I had nothing but males. Then I began to get the females. You know, so I just I just wanted to, to say that. And I'm so glad to hear you, my brothers and I. I will be coming on. This comes on every week? Yes, ma'am. Well, I will and be trying to get on every to week to, to listen to you. Because I also teach the disaster preparedness. Uh, That's yes, right. At number seven. That's from, right. <laughs> from the practical point of view. <laughs> okay. So I will be listening Beautiful. to you all. Thank you all so much. So much. You, I love you both. And may a lot of you to be You as, you yes, as well, sir. ma'am, and your family. I will. I will. Salam alaikum. Walaikum salam. Walaikum salam, man. Yeah. Melanie, well, would you like to respond or reply yeah. to our dear Sister Harriet? Oh, Sister Harriet. Yes, yes, sir. Sister Harriet was right, she was right on point with exactly what she said. And I want to thank you for her 25 years plus and still going of service to those of us that have um, our children that have those issues. Um, She is absolutely correct. I myself work in a school and have worked with EI. That was my assigned room and still is a... um, an area that I still supervise and assist in. And the majority of the, they're usually male, usually minority in the EI class. Every now and again in this area, you will get some um, Caucasian or white boys, but the majority, that's, that's the label that they give us most often. So the black boys, Hispanic, sometimes um, Native American, that's also so she is correct when she is saying that a lot of times there's other outside factors that are causing the distress and it appears to be someone who is emotionally unstable or is unable to regulate their emotions in the school setting that is so true from time to time you know when some of our children are born drug addicted there's a couple young men that come to mind that are in middle school and high school now that were born drug, uh, cocaine and heroin addicted. Therefore, they, their starting point is a tad bit rough, meaning they have had to detox, and the way that those drugs were mixed as they were growing in the womb, they don't just automatically leave the body when the baby comes to birth. They then have to... Mm-hmm. Uh, contend with a lot of chemical changes that go on in the body and just the whole makeup of them because those drugs were introduced in utero causes them to have some style of learning disability or some style of emotional disability. Not every single time, but oftentimes. Now, those children usually are labeled EI if they are able to give um, thoughts and feelings, you know, because they could be CI, which is cognitively impaired, which is something like what we would used to call mildly retarded or retardation. So a lot of the children in EI class are those that have 
had that introduction of drugs into their systems prior to their knowledge, right? And then you, it's very difficult to get them to understand cause and effect, one of the effects of drugs, the cause and effect. Because, you know, drugs, as we all know, and, I, and I'm not saying anything foreign, drugs is there to give the illusion that everything is okay when it's not. That's a whole reason. And if everybody was satisfied with their life and with their situation and everything was fine and everything was truly great, we wouldn't try to be higher than that feeling. So we use drugs when we are not knowing how to fix our shit. You see what I'm sorry, Brother Rudolph. I'm sorry again. Apologize. When we don't know quite how to manage our life and when we don't know quite how to fix us being unhappy, that's a choice. Then we have a drug, and the drug, we take it, and it makes us calm down. It makes us feel secure. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we can handle it, right, until it wears off, then we got to go find some more, which could be cost. But so for our young children that sometimes have that already intro to the body in utero, right, it's familiar Mm -hmm. to the body. So when we get it again, Mm It helps us kind of relax. We were built with it, a little bit of it, you know? So then we want to get it again. Now now being high is the norm. Not being right. high is not normal. That's when we feel out of place, out of sorts. We get irritated. We get agitated. We can't really think our way through a problem. Now we also have a wealth of technology at our fingertips, which also causes one to be less patient because mm-hmm. everything is at the fingers touch. So now we have that that introduced in our environment as well. So we are have become naturally impatient. We are unable usually to think our way through a problem alone, you know? Alone. Like um how am I going to get from here to there without a phone? So certain problems or certain, uh, I would say, dilemmas that we would have years ago that we would navigate, be able to navigate our way through, young people are having a more difficult time, not to mention their home environment, whatever that looks like. If you are born cracking heroin addicted like the boys that I work with, the majority of them have already been removed because of that offense from their families. So they're in foster care. They've been adopted out. They're in boys' homes. Some are in juvenile, in and out, because of the start. So you don't really feel like, still tying it into mental illness, brothers, you don't really feel like you belong anywhere. And what does a person do when they do not feel as though they belong? They want to be the first to knock you out first. They're the first to cause the commotion because you're not going to, get any more on them. They've already had a rough stretch. So this is the recipe. This is the perfect um, customer for what Brother Rudolph mentioned in the beginning, that one that goes off out in the street, goes off, will not listen to the authorities when they come around. The first one to get hyped when you've seen these things on TV, I mean on the Internet, where uh, there's a fight occurring. And two people or so are fighting, and you can hear the excitement in the crowd. They're excited. This is different. They're excited to see people at odds with one another. They'll take out phones. They'll see girls ripping each other's clothes off. It's laughter. 
So, so this is the environment. This is what's going down. This is what's really up, right? So when we think about our people and this style of condition, and now it's and now it's being viewed on social media. So the more we see something, the more we come what numb to it, and the more we become almost um, we we it's kind of the norm, numb norm. And then we begin to see our children, even those of us that maybe not have those style of problems that we mentioned with the young boys and their parents, then our children start to begin to behave this way. And it's kind of an ongoing thing, a recipe and a reoccurring customer for two places, the insane asylum or what we call the nut house and the penitentiary. Two reoccurring customers come out of those who are unable to regulate their emotions not to mention those that have chemical imbalances within that that they just aren't on medication or they're not in therapy or they're not working towards trying to um, manage their issue, they also are, are those. And sometimes when you have a mental condition that is undiagnosed, you can fall into the penitentiary or t- into, the, um, um, in the t- into the penitentiary or the correctional facility, and you will not be in the in the mental ward. You just get thrown in with everybody else. So there's a lot of things that are occurring. And, of course, we have a resolve, and I think Brother Ruwa is going to take us there. I hope I didn't over-talk or get us off our subject. Thank you. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. You're right on point. Right on point. Yeah, I, I don't think we're not ready for the solution yet. We still got some more uh, um, uh, uh, issues to, to, that we need to bring out. You're listening to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness on the Black Hole Radio Network. Call in at 563-999-3089 and press the number one to be heard. Make a comment, ask a question, uh, or just, uh, you know, join in the conversation. Thank you. Um, okay, so now, Specifically, talking about school children uh, at that age, um, because more and more I work in the psychiatric department, um, and more and more we're seeing, I'm talking younger than 18 years old, coming in in droves now. And, you know, it's just something seeing them coming in and listening to the stories that are coming from each one of them. And, you know, I often wonder myself when I hear some of these stories, wow, I think they're handling it great. I wonder how I would handle that situation, Mm -hmm. You you know. But, again, the reality is they're in an environment where they're dealing with people who are not of their culture, who are not sympathetic to them, and who are totally opposite in the way they think and live. So there's Mm -hmm. no empathy for them because of their situation and all of the extenuating circumstances that go with the situation. You know, the human services part of this problem uh, 
is another issue because there are certain resources that if made available to most of them, it could handle or help to solve some of the issue or at least get it to a point where you could teach them coping mechanisms and give them tools to deal with, but because they're coming in so uh, behind the eight ball, you can't, it's like trying to teach a, a starving man table manners. Take your elbows off the table. Don't eat with your hands here. Use the utensils. But this person hasn't eaten in three or four days, and you just put a plate of food in front of them. You know, it's that kind of situation, Brother Yusuf. I'll turn it back over to you. No, brother. I mean, let's use Sister Melanie's time and anybody else who wants to call in. There's certain things I can say. Just trust and believe that what you shared, Brother Rudolph, in terms of painting a picture, what you shared, Sister Melanie, and what I did, Sister Harriet shared, I've experienced personally as a nephew, personally as a father, personally as a psychiatric technician in a mental institution, personally at a residential uh, facility where they housed, quote-unquote, inner-city youth that were emotionally impacted or traumatized from the age of 8-year-old to 18 years old. So I want to use our dear sister Melanie's time before, if we have any time, I may share some things. But uh, thank you all for, for painting that beautiful picture because all three of you have painted an illustration that I've experienced personally. Yes, sir. So now, Sister Melanie, since we're at uh, this point, let's uh, since we are, we pride ourselves on being a solution-based show. What are some remedies to these problems that uh, we're talking about now? Yes, sir. That is a a huge question that um, we as a group, as a team today, should be able to offer some free solutions because not everybody has insurance and not everybody has someone that they trust and not everybody has tools in their community to get a therapist to get a psychiatrist, to go see a doctor. Sometimes it's so rough in the mind, and I'm sure all of us have been there, I know I have, that you can't even describe sometimes what's going on in your head. Sometimes the life gets so confusing and it gets so complicated and you get so boggled down with disappointment that, you 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 need something to relieve the pressure, you know? For those of us that have a religious base that we believe in God or we believe in a high in a higher power, most all religions teach those who follow it to seek assistance through patience and prayer. Mainly prayer. Let's leave off the patience. 
Because when we're dealing with mental distress, that's, that's kind of what we don't have. So that takes a minute to develop. But most definitely, we're taught to pray. Pray and seek some type of help, some type of relief. That's just one thing. But something that I have learned through my own trials in life and hills in life and crash courses in life, me, is that meditation, sitting still, is one of the strongest things to help alleviate distress. Because sometimes we, we live in situations and we're adjacent to situations, but we can't stop the flow of everything going on. We don't have the authority to tell our wives or our husbands, shut up. It just causes a confusion or tell the boss, leave me alone. Or, but one thing we can do is control ourselves. All of us, when we are in a situation that we don't quite know, if we feel safe about what's going on present, we can stop. We can pause. And we could stop talking. We could try to stop thinking and become still. That is one of the most powerful remedies that I can say. And, and at first, when first someone told me about it years ago, I was thinking, oh, number one, I ain't getting ready to do that. I am not a yogi. I am not Russell Simmons. I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not, you know, all these. I'm not. And I hate that I really gave it. I hate that I missed out so many years thinking in that ill way of something I did not understand. Sitting still, being still, taking a pause. Once we get that time to take the pause, even the boys that I work with, when I know, and Sister Harriet said earlier, when they get to, you know, you could catch them, if you could catch them in that little window, when their eyes get to twitching off to the side and stuff, today I caught one. I saw his eye twitching, and he started, like, moving his head. I said, oh, shit, let me hurry up. I, because they easily embarrassed, so you can't call them out. So I, this one can read. Some of my boys can't read. This one could. So I wrote him a sticky note. Do you plan on doing your work checkbox, yes or no? He wrote in between, I don't know. I said, come with me. If you can catch someone in that time when we left the classroom, no talking, walking. By the time we hit two laps around the second floor, I said, what's up? I can't find my shirt and my mom, and then it just pours out. One word, one phrase, what's up? So then he was able to get it out. Did we solve the problem? No, sir. wasn't about solving the problem because most problems don't get solved like that to give us the relief that we're looking for. We all know that, right? That's not Mm -hmm. what we're looking for. We're looking to relieve the pressure so we can make it. You get what I mean? So we can sustain ourselves, so we can be human-like and not barbarian-like, you know? That's all, because I have to help them keep their dignity, because they don't know how to do that yet. So pausing is one of the strongest control mechanisms a person can have to regain control of thought, thinking, movement, and speech. Pause, 15 minutes. Pause five minutes because once a human being pauses, the 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 natural part of us, the best part of us, begins to work. Not the negative part. The best part is at work when we pause. When we take that time to meditate or sit still, we're connecting, and it's the best part 
It's not the poor part. It's the best part. So from there, it's better. That's just two free things for prayer for those that can because that alleviates because you're talking, you know, and you're getting it off your chest. And then when you take the pause, when you take the pause, the, the way that the best way I have learned to take the pause is you're, you're concentrating on something that does not matter, which is usually a sound. It could be something as simple and as innocent as a clock ticking. That's the way I start and still do. Because counting, if I have to count and set my clock to know, okay, 15 minutes, because I'm not, I don't want to think about anything. I'm not solving the world's problems or my own. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing. I just want to concentrate on nothing. And it sounds crazy. It sounds almost impossible. But work with yourself. Train yourself to, to have that control that I don't want to give my attention to anything right now but silence in myself. No thoughts. That is very, very helpful. In the EI room, in the emotionally impaired room, with most of the students, I well. Straight out of high, straight out of college, excuse me, second job, was all boys, all ninth grade, all EI. I think I was 23. Rough. Some, a couple of them in there. One was in there from, he had already murdered somebody. Somebody else had did great barley arm and some crimes in between. So a rough group, but they, but they ninth grade. Many couldn't read. The first thing, um, and I was I was like uh, one of those jobs, brothers, where you get you you know you you bid in, but you're at the bottom. So your seniority is so low. Back then, you got the worst pick, right? So here I am, I'm 23, in this classroom with these boys. The first thing I had to acknowledge to myself is that we were equal. I had to understand and believe. That the way I felt Allah see me, he sees them the same. I had to have a perfect understanding of the way he sees them. Do you understand? Because I was going to see flaws. So I had to Mm -hmm. correct my thinking about what was in front of me. I could not effectively help them if I thought I was better. I couldn't effectively help them and be assistance to them and serve them for real if I thought that they couldn't be fixed. So I had to see my, with through them, I saw my own flaws. They helped me to see mm-hmm. some of my own. And so from there, I knew that it, we were all naked, you know, with clothes on, okay? We wasn't sitting in the classroom naked. But you understand, we, we were there. They put me in that room. I, I was not going to have no white folks coming down there telling me that my boys were out of control. You get what I'm saying? I wasn't going to do So I said, oh, I ain't letting them think I can't handle this. But it was wild kingdom up in there at first. Really quickly, I'm moving forward. The first thing we had to do, because I, I didn't know what to do, was I had an older white lady. She was with me. We worked together. And you already know, I already said what she was. So she did the best she could. She was the reading instructor. I was a behavior therapist. So she was going to teach them to read, but they wouldn't let her because they didn't want one another to know that they couldn't, those that couldn't. There was some barriers we had. Like Brother Rue, I said some barriers. First thing we had to end up doing every morning to bring in food. Finally, the lunch lady would give me extra food because I had to make sure that they all ate the first thing. So from like, I think we got there like 7.30, crazy early, 
7.30 to 8.30, they ate. No instruction. No, no, no talking to. And everybody learned that system, patterns, patterns, patterns. At mm-hmm. 8.30, heads down. Everybody heads went down. Because they were tired. Some of them hadn't eaten. Some of them had been up all night listening to the riffraff. Some of them were a part of the riffraff. Some of them was coming mm-hmm. from juvie to school. So it was a pause. I introduced the pause and didn't even know it back then. Food mm-hmm. and pause. And the pause was the reset. You see, the pause mm-hmm. was this is where we are. I have, you, have to bring, you have to offer people to come to present time. You can't make them. You offer. And the way you come to present time so you can live and work and learn is you have to feed them if they're hungry. You're not going to be able to get anybody to do anything you don't want to do if they are hungry. They can't hear you. So they eat first, then they sat still, heads down. They used to think, they're like, I ain't no baby. I ain't sitting on Yes, you are. By the time they used to enjoy it, it was a pattern. Heads down. Heads up. 15. Okay. All right, y'all. Come on. Everybody take the book out. We're going to work a little. Now we're going to discuss. You have to pause that after that work. Pause it. And you would have to bring life scenarios in because you have to begin to help people to learn and know what to do. So when the situation comes again, they won't react the same. You can't stab them. You can't jump them. You can't kick them in his head with your Timberland boot. So now you got to assault. You can't do it that way. So we used to, what I learned, Dianetics, bull bait. I would come up to them once we got comfortable. And I'd be like, you, what am I saying? Your mama, I would talk about their mom, and they laugh at first, but it would tense them up, the one that I would do, because I wanted them to be tense. I wanted them to be ready because I ended up really loving them. I didn't want to see them fail. I didn't want to, you know. So I had to toughen them up in ways there was no father, there was no mother most of the time, you know. It was my assignment, you see. So I didn't know this. I see it now more clearly. But at the time, I was like, well, I need this job. Because if I go home and tell Leroy it was my father, I ain't got this job. He's going to be cussing and fussing. So I had to keep my job, right? I had to keep a job. So it was a, it was a process. What I'm sharing is this is just one setting, you know, the classroom, the, the young people at the school. Now, this was uh, the early 2000s. And so we were out of corporal punishment because when I went to school, people still got paddles and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we didn't do that. However, they had padded rooms. So, cause remember you, I told you the population. So if you cut up too bad, you was going in that padded room. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was a uh, cause and effect. You know, they would spit, kick. I mean, it was rough, but they would go in there. They would put them in there. There were security guards and, and things like that. You know, now that's not an option. The room is padded, but it's not locked, and they can't make you go in there. They can offer you. And if you say no, you don't have to go. These are the rules. Things are changing. Mm-hmm. What, were, what was that corporal punishment for? You know, what was it there for? It was to help keep things in line. I never saw, even when I was growing up, a student just cuss out a teacher. Now you see it all the time. Cuss you out. Just, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing I mean, you didn't see that because when you saw someone get out of line somewhat, 
they would get paddled. I remember the principal who was black coming down, paddling somebody that was, I think we were in maybe the fourth grade, fifth grade. I mean, in front of everybody. I can remember that. Mm-hmm. And when I went home, I told my mother, so-and-so got paddled today, Ma. And she was, she never said, what? What is, who was the teacher? She never said that. It was not her response. Her response was, what did he do? What did he do? Mm-hmm. She already mm-hmm. knew. So we trusted one another mm-hmm. as professionals. We had the parents at home trusted. They didn't come up there like now, the parent coming to fight the principal because she said something to her son. You see how crazy that was? So it's crazy. It's crazy. Things have changed so, for sure. <laughs> yes, sir. So. We have to first acknowledge that there is something that is not going well. Forget just wrong, just going well. Because you can't always agree, get people to agree if something's right or wrong. So you do you say, do you like the outcome? I would ask the boys, did, did you like what happened after you beat them up? And now you're back mm. in juvie for three weeks? Did you, did you like that part? Because I want to talk about that part. I don't want to talk about the fight. I don't want to talk about why you had to, I want to talk about do you like that part because that's your part. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to endure. So the effect, not to mention the cause, not to put um, a lot of weight on the problem and what happened and who did what, that's small. Because in the mind of right. someone that's kind of EI, they can get tied up into that. So it's best to always go with the worst scenario and walk it back so you can, they can know the effect going into the same asylum having to be on medication, having to have someone give you your medication because you don't know how to quite regulate your emotions or settle your mind down. I hope that was good information. Thank you. Great information. Hold on, Sister, Sister Melanie. Melanie. Pull up, hold, hold on. Pull up. A comma. A comma. Welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom may we have the pleasure of speaking to, and how may we be of service to you? This is Brother Forrest, Brother. I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to comment on one thing Sister smoke. Melody brought up. And, and yes. Sister Melody, thank you very much, as usual. Thank uh, all the folks that called in and, and helping out. But the problem is this has been socially engineered. The problem that we have is babies having babies. If you take away the father at the house, this started in the 1960s. I was there. It started in the 60s. Welfare was offered to women who didn't have men, men in the house. You take away the men. Right. Now you take away all discipline. And so you have babies having babies. And so now when a little girl, little baby gets offended, now she wants to go on the war path. Because like you said, sister, she has no impulse control. That mother who's 16, 17, 18, 19, has no impulse control. So somebody put their hands on her child, it's war. Instead of, like, what did my child do? Is the correction needed? Because they're not correcting their children themselves. So now we have a pattern of why things happen on the street. I deal with this all day long, every day. I talk with young men in my travels. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I I see them and say, brothers, pull up your pants. Black man's walking through. They put up their pants because they didn't have discipline. They're not scared of discipline. It has to come from somebody that has no fear of them. They smell fear like a dog smells red raw meat. They have no fear. If you have fear, they're going to just run over you. So I'm sorry. I just had to bring that into the conversation. Thank you, family. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Mr. Melanie. 
The mic is yours again. So, the brother was so right that um, they smell fear. Because, like you said, the first thing that I had, because that's first when I, (laughs) I, I'll be very transparent. When I walked in that room, uh, 23, because sometimes, have you, you've met, we've met people in our lives, uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, friends, fathers, and mothers, and so on and so forth, people in the community, where sometimes you could tell what what we would say um, back in the day, uh, she off, he's off, you know, or they off, you know, off family, different. And sometimes you could catch a look, right, when you would find someone that was dealing with a mental distress. They kind of maybe looked a little bit different, that's what I'll say, or interesting. Maybe an eye would twitch, or they would mumble to themselves. You know, you know, you would get some, you would get some things going on that would give you an indication. Uh oh, hold on, you know. So walking into that room, I never forget. It was kind of summertime. School started like August, September, so it was real warm. The windows were open, and so when I walked in, they didn't think I was a, a, a adult. First of all, twenty three. So they right. didn't quite know how to handle me. I didn't know how to handle them. I was like, oh, my God, because some of them look kind of off, you know. Some <laughs> of them look different. And so I was like, oh, hell no. You know what I mean? They didn't get, you know, I'm in a class with a whole bunch of, you know, this is my first. But but I tried the standoff approach probably two days. I was like, oh, nope. That's not going to work. They're going to they gonna kill me up in here. Definitely. Definitely were going to assault me. They were not scary like that. They had been disregarded. They had had so many people in their lives disappoint them. And pause real second, one second, because I did want to add something earlier, and it just came back to mind when I said dis, um, um, disappointment. You know how in therapy or in dealing with emotion, they always say anger is a second emotion. I don't know if anyone has ever heard that anger is a second emotion. My question was always second to what? Because they used to tell us that in school. Anger is a second emotion. And when you see anger, know that that's a second emotion. I never, I did a lot of study and I figured out what the first one was. It's disappointment. Disappointment is what we all have been through. Think about when you had the faith in someone, woman or man, talking about relationships now, and that woman or man let you down. The first thing you did was you had a hope. You had a vision. You had something that you believed could and was going to probably happen, a beautiful life, a beautiful relationship, a loving family. These are things that we thought, right, all of us have thought. And when we got in it, 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 it started off great, right? Then things started to change perhaps and maybe ended so damn bad, you wish you would not have even met that person. You see what I mean? So we go from, look at that extreme of thought just in the mind. Love, 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 love. Now we're, bitch, I mean, it goes from that to that. So think about the chemical change. I'm serious. Think about the chemical change. In just that mind that once had that warm, fuzzy, and now you're that disdain and nasty about a person, one person. 
So just think about how we introduce to our own selves that bipolar, hello, level of thinking. Because that's what that is, bipolar. (laughs) You're here, you're up high, the next minute something happens. And now you, you just have changed your whole hookup. You know, how, how does the baby mother or the baby father, you know, at one time they had to have been this beautiful person to you somewhat, and now they're just in this real nasty part in your mind. The mind was not made to hold all of that style of thinking and thoughts. It doesn't do well operating in that low frequency of thought. It doesn't do its best. So you, that's what we said. Release that, right? Let it go. Okay, back to the boys. So disappointment. The boys had had so many disappointments in life, abandoned by the mother, abandoned by the father, mistreated by foster homes, not even taught to read. So they didn't even know signs and know they were pretending, right? Now you got gang stuff. Now you got differences between people your age and you don't want to be punk, so you got to do this and do that. So they had a lot of factors going on that they were that they were contending with, that they were dealing with, that they were managing with. Things they could not explain. So disappointment, I had to understand was their base. They were so disappointed, they could they didn't even care. You couldn't promise them pizza party on Frank and about none of that. They was going to fight, you know? So introducing and understanding first about the level of disappointment, and that's where a lot of chemical imbalance occurs. When you see a woman who is so ready for life, you know, and you just see, you can watch her, she's just ready you know, she goes to college or she goes off to the job and she's just so happy and she's so impressed with herself and ready for the world and she's got plans. And then in the midst of this life that's brewing, somebody violates her. They, she gets raped, right? Ooh. Now you're dealing with a person who has been ultimate, the ultimate of violation, right? So, what does one expect when just looking at this subject matter right here, and this we're talking about, this is a study. This is a study right here. What do we expect her to do? We'll take her through the treatments, and she'll go to the hospital, and they may find the person. They may charge. They may. I'm talking about internal in the mind. How do you work with a person like that? How do you give them hope again? How do you show them that God doesn't hate you, and that's why it didn't happen? Because eventually I got girls the next year. I'll get to that. So what happens sometimes is that when a person has been violated like that, they turn off, right? Then we know them to be maybe sexually promiscuous after, or they may not be sexually promiscuous. They may turn to uh, men on men, women on women, you know, or they may just be enraged, or they, or they may behave like nothing happened. There's so many ways it can go. But how do you work with someone who has been affected like that? You have to be, number one, patient, and you have to be willing to learn the person as if there's not two snowflakes alike or not two raindrops alike. You have to be able to learn them. You have to be able to learn them through their perception, their perspective, not give them what you should do 
Well, shit, that was three, four years ago. You should have got over that by now. Why are you still acting like that? I mean, damn, everybody done been raped. I mean, damn, now you're going to minimize their pain. Mm-hmm. See how sick we are and how bad it can go just because we mm-hmm. don't know what to do? And is that fair? But, again, going back to those words, how you had to see them just like you wanted God to see you in the same exact light, right? So that's their circumstance. And now we have to figure those that are in charge of that type of thing, that's big work, right? That's big work. And Sister Harriet know that. But that's big work. That's, that's a work that's a little different than um, uh, being important and talking and giving a speech or um, – you know, uh, Nino Brownish, you know, back. That's, that's a different style of work because you're working with those that the Nino Browns have left, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why we don't glorify drugs and drug dealers because now we're working at the remnants of it. When those boys can't sit still and it's because their mother had heroin and crack in their system. I don't like drug dealers. I don't like none of that. I don't glorify that shit. That's shit. Because this is what we're left with, children that can't sit still, can't think, don't have any hope, don't know what to do, and don't have anybody that takes the time to tell them what to do. Most mm-hmm. times, I, as a young people, when we were younger, you had to be told what to do. If there was no one there to tell me what to do, I don't know how I'd be. So people not, you know, telling their children what to oh, let them do. What? <laughs> the recipe for that is what we see. So oh, that's this. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's this uh, free-range parenting that they call it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm serious. It is. There's a book, and I think that, that, it's that Dr. Spock guy, uh, who, who, who's the author of it, um, that a lot of the young sisters in particular are reading, and they're influencing the fathers of the children to go along with the program. It's called free-range parenting, where just let the child do what the child wants to do. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to interject that. With oh, that absolutely. With absolutely. Absolutely. So not to get on a tangent, but learning your subject. You know, learning that we have a responsibility and a true duty to help those that need it, you know, not when the camera is on, not just when, you know, it's time to say what you've done, but but those type of people are in need of a lot of help, you know, and they're deserving of it. So it takes time and a lot of, um, it takes a lot of your time to learn how? Because you're not always going to hit a home run. You know, sometimes you're going to not be the best. Sometimes you're not going to be received. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. And I, and, I, and I hope those that I have helped along the way or that I was in charge of a class or whatever, forgive me for when I did not handle them the best, you know, because I didn't know what to do, but I have learned differently. So we always want to step back and acknowledge when we weren't always the best because that helps us to not offend further. But when you yeah. think can't nobody tell you nothing in your profession, or when you act as though um, 
you know and you can't learn anymore and you can't be told? How, how are you able to help someone when you take on that stance of thought? Yes, ma'am. Haughty. You know, a haughty, a haughty person is not able to teach anybody, and they can be smart as can be. I'm sure we have mm-hmm. all met a person or two that was in charge of a situation, and they had a real funky disposition. They were unaware, and they ruled that situation with fear. Lack and fear never wins. When you use something or you try to rule out of fear and lack, it's only going to be a short time before that person is probably left alone. Because people don't do well for long ruling with fear and lack. They don't respond well. So you've watched situations and you've watched men, you know, back in the day, or sometimes even women, and they talk to their children real huff rough, and they say, get your ass over there and do this and do that, and, 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 and this was going to happen, and that's what's going to happen. And, and then the outcome of that is these children that walk around fearful of this person that's supposed to be the person that guides them and loves them. They're ruling with fear, ignorance, truly. But then they become, you know, they, their self-esteem is low. Their mother or father talks to them bad. The hell you do that shit for, you stupid motherfucker and all that. So look at the person that you're creating, a great person to be what? Abused. Right. Speaking harshly to your children, speaking harshly to one another in front of your children gives them the map to either be that or one that receives that. It's only two ways it goes. So being mindful of the way you handle a situation, if you can, do better, you know, do better. Because when children and young people see you have that level of humility, oh, my God, they'll do anything you tell them to do, anything. So working, working with girls that were violated, that have been violated, knowing that every single person, every single woman, every single young girl that has been violated has their own unique version of what occurred, you will never understand it 100% because you're not them. See? But what you can do is ask them to make you understand how they feel, how they feel now, how it felt them, so you can understand that emotion. Because, because someone will accept their emotion of what they felt, it lifts the burden from them. It causes that, that's, that's part of restoring. Not trying to tell them how they should feel now and how they should move on and you don't understand why they are dying and you don't understand this and you, forget your understanding. You were not the one violated. Bring it back. Listening. Everybody wants to be heard. See? So working with people that have been violated, now male and female, males have been violated just as much as females. Working with sexually abused children and now becoming adults, you know, being watchful because you don't know what people have experienced. You don't know if they have been violated at a young age and then turn around and do it, you know, at an older age, pattern-driven and all those kinds of things. But it's to be mindful of that predatory style of uh, things going on, you know, with young people, I, I would say, 
that's very important because that act, when one gets violated, causes a whole, can cause, excuse me, and has many times, cause a whole mental distress. Now they hear voices. Now they don't go out the house. Now they don't wash their bodies. A lot of things can come from that. So I just wanted to put that on the table. I don't know why um, I got let down that, because I know a lot of people have experienced that. So I wanted to make that statement. Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you, sis. Uh, Brother Yusuf, I just looked at, uh, looking at my Gucci, it's about that time, you know, um, Unfortunately, we got to put a pin in it this week, um, but we pray that something was said this week that can help someone or give someone an idea of how to help someone else that they may know that's in this situation. So, just as a little recap, let's let let let's go over this. What are some of the takeaways that we can um, gather or garner from this week? Is nutrition, food. Um, food is a powerful ally in the world of mental clarity and in the mental health community because a lot of the issues that we're seeing, it's not true mental illness. It's Mm -mm. nutritional deficiencies that are spinning out and resulting in behavioral um, uh, uh, um, things, but that's based on the fact that the body is not receiving all of the nutrients that it should have, and so it's responding to a deficit in nutrition. So let's, um, you know, let let's put that on the positive side, and on one of the, uh, you know, or if we're making a list. As to the things that can be done, we'll put that on that side. The second is um, uh, uh, space, a a judgment-free zone, a safe space where a person can be heard regardless to how they're saying what they're saying and regardless to what they're saying. They need a space where they can get it out of them before we can begin to help them to express it in a different way or even think about it, see it in a different way, um, they need to get it out. So a a safe zone. So a safe zone and a good place. And and if we work on those two things for the next week, um, then we can come back with some more help for us and our people. So, Sister Melody, would you do you have anything yes, in closing this week? Not closing period because we're putting a pin in this to come back again, uh, but just for this week. Um, I hope the information that we've talked about has helped someone to learn more. And I hope that it was helpful. And I wanted to add one more thing. And this is really not, this is just something to toss around in our heads to think about. What I want to add is, you know, when being in charge and being 
um, um, over uh, part of uh, a community, kind of like running a nation. If you want to have, want to be in charge and be have your own world and your own nation, we have to be able to service all people in it, right? Do you brothers agree? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. So all, not just the people that think like us, eat like us, agree like us. We know that that's pretty fictional. We know that we will have all kinds of people in the world. And so if we're going to help govern a world like that, you know, and oversee and assist, then we have to be able to service everybody in it. Now, think about those who have been the offenders, those who have murdered, those who have raped. Those who have murdered children, those who have done rough things, how do we service them as well? That is something that's a real touchy subject, especially for the self-righteous person, right? But we're not that. We begin to see how do we service still those, those who have caused yeah. a lot. You see, that's a different style of um, conversation, isn't it? But it's a good one to have because they are included, right? That's a totally different mindset right there. Totally different. You know, I'm taking a back on that one. You know, I got to pause for the cause. So I can think about that one. Okay. And and not to mention, we do it kind of in not knowing. I'm not, and I'm not saying what I'm going to say. It probably is just one example that comes to mind. I was, and I do watch Fifty Cent show. I do enjoy a good Fifty Cent show, BMF, Power, so on and so forth. Okay, so but I was looking today because I believe one of his shows uh, came back on and started last night, and. There was a lot of talk today on social media about um, one of the people who it's based on, which is Big Meech, right? And so it's, there was a great, great, great following of people that were saying how they were so happy that he was getting out and blah, blah, blah. So we, we do open our arms to all because if you really look at it, that was man. We know what he did. And now some of us are in positions of helping the remnants that as a result of that act. But it goes deeper than that because we know why drugs came and so on and so forth. So we do glorify those who have been great offenders to our community. See? So we, we've done it. So it's not like we have to really think too much. But when I say the word rape, it gets real touchy. When I say the word murder babies and stuff like that, it gets in a different category. But if I say the dope man, we, we, we having parties and not even thinking about it. So when do we begin to rank and rate sin? Because I didn't think we all did that, right? But, but these are people that are all in our community. Some of us have um, had our bumps in the road. Many of us have. So no one is perfect. Absolutely not. But just something to toss around in our heads to think about, you know? Maybe for next week or maybe another time. I have thoroughly enjoyed myself and so appreciate the offer to come on and just talk. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful, peaceful day. Thank you. Thank you, Sister, um, Sister Melanie. Melanie. Before you go, before you go, if someone was inclined to need and needed your services, how could someone reach you? 
Oh, okay. So I have a phone number <laughs> that uh, I could offer. I also have um, an email. Let's start with the email. Okay. So the well, email I mean, you know, is... The phone number, that's fine with us. Sure, that's, you know what, that's fine. Yeah, that, you know what, yeah, and they could get hung up on if it's weird. But okay, so it's 248, <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal, 248-818-3401. Say it again. 248-818-3401. One more time. 248-818-3401. Three four zero one. All right, all right. And and why would they be? What are some of the circumstances that they would reach out to someone like yourself? Well, I do private therapy, so a person. Uh, some of the people I have assisted. I don't like to say help, but just assisted because I learn from them; they learn from me. And uh, are those that suffer from depression, schizophrenia, trauma, uh, bipolar, manic depressant, adjustment disorder? Like think about a person who once was somebody important and then life happened and now they are someone who is trying to adjust to what they are no longer that can really cause a great depression sometimes if we don't know how to um, reacclimate ourselves or find a place in life because sometimes we could have very important positions and then once those are gone, we feel sometimes we're gone as well. So learning how to readjust back in, back in uh, the life that we have. So adjustment disorder is another um, something that I assist can assist people with. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Sister Melody. We appreciate that. And yes, we will be calling back upon you um, to finish this or go for deeper into this as soon as we plan another show to uh, go further into this discussion. Because the next time I would like to bring on some of the auditors um, along with you um, so that we can uh, take this another mile further down the road. So, all right. Yes, sir. Thank you again so much. And I will be talking to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Brother Yusuf, um, if you will close us out, please, because I'm going uh, getting ready to dip out. I have to get to work. Uh, you know, it's time to make the donuts. And, yes, but sir. But I thank everyone for, for joining because I really enjoyed this show. It, it, doing this show, especially with you, brother, you already know. I'll, you know how I feel about you, but this is therapy for me. You know, it's not even work for me because I get to hang out with my brother and, and we get to do what we do. That's right. Um, get to do what we love to do. We get to do what Allah has blessed us to do. 
So we get to help our people. And so, you know, like they say, if you can find something that you can do that you love to do, you know, you will never work a day in your life. And that's very true. And so and then, of course, with uh, Big Brother Forrest there, you know, it's just the event, Brother Jason, that's family. So this is, that's uh, right. you know, as, as the whispers said, what they said, is a love thing. Brother Rudolph, Brother Yusuf, yes, you had a wonderful show, but we have run out of time. We are no longer on the air. But y'all did a fabulous job today. We'll bring it back next week, God willing. Oh, yes, sir. Thank, Thank you, Brother Fars. Love you, brother. Thank Thank you. Love you. Love you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.